All right, good morning. That's me, Sermon. Uh, welcome, everybody. Welcome to service. I've got a little bit of the common cold, so that's why I got a little bit of congestion, but it's okay because Dwayne and Dana said that we've learned to be content no matter what the situation, so uh, we will be content with the congestion. But uh, awesome service today. Thanks to the Washingtons for taking us through uh, Philippians, um, for uh, Jim helping us talk through anxiety and, and, and fear and, and concern, and for Edwin for announcing things. And so now we're going to go to Genesis 27, and I promised myself not a long preamble this morning, so we're just going to get right down to it so I don't lose time on this one, because this, this is a big one. This is a, an awesome one, Genesis 27. We actually looked at this as a church a few um, months ago at, at midweek. You guys studied this out in small groups. Um, so we will be in Genesis 27. If you want to hop over there now, uh, we'll be reading through that chapter in just a moment. And a little bit of background, um, where we're coming from, last time on Genesis uh, Uncovered. Uh, if I turn this, we got it. Almost. You plugged in there to the adapter. Um, Genesis 27, last time, 26. Um, we had a little break with Isaac. And then before that, uh, we, we had Jacob and Esau's birth. Hey, there we go. Um, so Isaac and Rebekah, they had twins. They clashed inside her. One's called Esau. He's a hunter. One's Jacob. He's a sly fox. They later become Edom and Israel. So they're renamed later. They have, uh, the prophecy given to Rebekah is there are two nations within your womb. Which no pregnant mother wants to hear, um, but there, there are two peoples in there. Uh, two is hard enough, but two nations within your womb. Um, one, Edom and Israel. Now, it's important to know this because uh, this is going to have implications. The people who Genesis is written for initially are these Israelites who are coming out of captivity uh, there. And they've, Edom and Israel are set at odds with each other. Um, and so... Down the line, Edom actually allies with Babylon. They work together to uh, betray, to attack Israel. And then even further down the line, um, King Herod is actually from, he's an Edomite. He's from Edom, and he betrays uh, Israel along with Rome. And so you can see, even up to the point of Jesus, we have Jacob and Esau still at war with each other. And so this prophecy, given to Rebekah that the elder shall serve the younger, um, the two boys are born. Uh, one is Esau, he's, he's red, he's red-haired red most likely. Jacob comes out holding onto his heel, the heel grabber. Uh, that's their first battle. Seems like Esau wins that one because he comes out first. He gets, the, he gets the rights of the firstborn. But Jacob's not letting too much time pass before he realizes, you know what, I got to take that birthright. So he convinces Esau. Remember the marshmallow test last week, uh, or two weeks ago rather, but hey, uh, no, it was last week. But hey, uh, give me... Uh, the stew and, and Jacob says, yeah, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. So he ends up stealing the birthright from, uh, from Esau. So round two goes to Jacob. And so today is actually round three. Fight. Here we go. All right, Jacob and Esau are going to go at it. Round three. Jacob, uh, Genesis 27. I figured it kind of looks like Jacob and Esau, right? It's Esau on the right. And, um... But this is probably more accurate. Okay, so Genesis 27, we'll actually start in 26. 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of um, Be'eri, the Hittite, and also uh, Basamath, 
Basamath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Little note on that. Remember, Abraham's final wish on his deathbed is help my son find a wife within our clan. Um, and so it was a big deal to marry within the family, to marry, like we would today, to marry a Christian. Essentially, Esau marries non-Christians here. He also marries has multiple wives, which isn't really, even though it's in the Bible sometimes, it's not necessarily something that's um, lauded as a good thing. Gen- uh, 27.1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt some game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare some tasty food to eat so that I can bless you uh, in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, in verse eight, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock, bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and I would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go and get them for me couple things to notice, a couple things is you can kind of tell, right? Uh, it's interesting um, that Rebecca is listening at the door. It's interesting, right? Mom and dad aren't really unified on this one, okay? Um, and I, I, Isaac has gone about this decision to bless Esau. And I was talking to a brother recently, and he was like, I don't like this, this, this chapter because I feel like the wife is just so deceitful, and like it's just not good for wives to be that way. And I was like, yes. But it's actually highly unusual for Isaac to bless just one son. In fact, Jacob later, he blesses all of his sons. All the other times in the Genesis we see this, you bless everybody. So Isaac's actually making a decision of his own accord to play favorites. And not just favorites, but I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you this epic, very uh, thorough blessing. And I'm going to give it to you, Esau. And really based on what reason, it seems like Isaac's not a very complicated man. He wants some good food. He likes what Esau prepares for him. But remember, Esau sold his birthright for some food. Isaac also is very driven by food. And so these, you can see why maybe they, they hang out a lot. They're connected. They're kind of, maybe they're meatheads. You know, they're just kind of like, they're not, there's not a lot. They're just kind of like, all right, I want some, my, my appetite. One commentator says that uh, uh, Isaac's appetite is stronger than his theology. And that's just kind of what he's driven by. Now, Rebecca listens and she goes, okay. If you've read so far, I don't know if you've noticed it, but it says with Isaac, it says, uh, his father, his son, his father, Jacob's mother. It's very, you can see this very split here. And there's, you can see that the marriage is not where it should be. And we remember back to Rebecca. Remember Becca, she went and got got right by the servant, brought back, left her country, hospitable, incredible woman. She comes back, she sees Isaac from far off. She modestly covers her face with the veil. You know, it's like, he, he, there he is, right? This is my husband. Oh uh, yeah, that takes, him into, takes her into Sarah's tent, right? She becomes the replacement of Sarah. This seems like a really great marriage, but at some point, 
the, the marriage isn't so great anymore. And a lot of it has to do, it seems like, with the parenting of the two kids. And so there's a side lesson here that we won't talk a ton today about, but this is a great lesson, a good skit to do. There's a lot of sin in this chapter, and it kind of begins in a lot of ways with mom and dad kind of doing their own thing and having their own ideas and not being unified. So let's see what happens, because so far we've seen that Esau's given up his birthright. Will he lose his blessing too? Uh, and so the tension is rising. Uh, so Jacob's concerned. Hold on, my brother's really hairy and I'm pretty smooth. Um, and what if dad touches me? Um, once again, Jacob's only concern is not, hey, mom, is this right? He says, what if we're found out? Is this plan really that good? I mean, his concern is mainly about himself. And will he be found out? Okay. Um, so let's see, where were we? Verse 13, he said to his mother, my, or her, his mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I what I say, go and, and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them for his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, and which she had in the house, put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands with the smooth part of his neck with the go- and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, there you go, to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, my father, Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. All right, Jacob, chill out. All right, you don't need to like walk us through it. He's like, I'm Esau, your firstborn, the first kid you had. It's not Jacob, I promise. Um, I have done as you have told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success. Oof. Add blasphemy to the list of sins here. Jacob, when he's backed in the corner, says, God, God did it. Right? Just uh, the second lie that he tells. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Esau, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were very hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he uh, brought some wine and he drank it. Then his father, his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to his father and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. You can see a pretty all-inclusive there, a very thorough blessing. After Isaac finishes blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau comes in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came in and blessed him in it. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Isaac heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, father. 
But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives, all his relatives, his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. When you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So we'll stop there. Very interesting chapter, very different kind of chapter, a chapter that we talked about already. It's a chapter that's really interesting. You know, there's a lot of detail here, even into the emotions of some of these, some of these characters. But we see on one side, we have a lot of sin. On the other side, we have even more sin. Isaac decides to bless only one child. Um, he's playing favorites. In fact, Isaac's got in his head, I'm going to give everything to Esau and nothing to Jacob. So the tables are turned on him by his wife, who hears it, decides to trick and deceive her husband with a, 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 very, uh, a very detailed, deceitful plan. Um, Isaac's tricked. Esau obviously is, is caught here. Um, because his father was trying to bless only one kid, uh, the, the kid he really wanted to bless is left out in the cold with, with nothing left. Now, today we struggle with this because we, most people say, why couldn't he just bless Esau? Why couldn't he just, or even better, why couldn't he just take it back? It's because words to us today mean nothing. Just take it back. I didn't mean it. But words back then, especially in this time, they meant something. And they could not be taken back. Once they were said in a certain way with a certain right. Um, This idea of prophecy, this idea of oracle, this idea of a blessing that words once said are out there. And you, you, you cannot take them back. So as Isaac is preparing this very important blessing, he sets it up around this meal, which is quite often you, took, you had a blessing or a promise with a meal. He cannot take it back. And he is devastated uh, to learn. That's why he says, have you reserved anything for me? He says, what, what can I give you? And he, you can see Isaac's kind of caught himself in his own trap. So what's the point of all this? It's an interesting story because on one side, you look at Esau and you go, okay, I know he's not really qualified. I mean, it says he despised his birthright earlier in Genesis. That's not a, that's kind of strike one. Okay. Um, Is he really qualified for all, for, to be this inheritor, this, the firstborn, to be the one who gets everything. Um, And then Jacob comes in and steals it with the help of mom. Uh, who's kind of very well connected, by the way. She kind of hears things and she, she, she calls the shots. So who are, we, who are we to be like? Should we be like Jacob? 
go out there and just the ends justifies the means. Just get it done however you want to get it done. Because Jacob does become Israel, so maybe we should just be like Jacob. Should we be like Rebekah? Should we be like Isaac? What, what do we do? Now, the main point is that, like all stories in Genesis, God can work even in the most sinful and, and strange and web of lies situation, situations that there are. And I promise you, Jacob's story is not over yet. Um, but I do think there is something about Jacob that we do, that we should take and try to emulate. And that's a, a, a word uh, called chutzpah. And chutzpah is a Hebrew Yiddish word that means guts. Guts to the point of offensive guts. Like you are so bold and you have so, you're so, a shameless audacity, right? That Jacob and Rebecca, I mean, they are going for it here. And Jacob really has nothing. I mean, as the younger son, he gets almost nothing anyway. So he's thinking, well, might as well go for it. But they go for it in this really great moment of audacity. Um, there's this really great story um, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, uh, about this guy named Gary Cohn. This is a good example of chutzpah. But Gary Cohn basically is, uh, he works uh, as a construction worker. He's 27. He goes on a trip to New York and he visits the World Trade Center. And he kind of has an interest in like uh, working on Wall Street. And as he's, as he's at the World Trade Center, he hears a businessman yell um, on his phone, I'm late for LaGuardia. I gotta, I'll call you later. I got to go. And so he realizes this guy works on Wall Street. So he, so he kind of realizes this is an opportunity. So Gary says, hey, I heard you're going to LaGuardia. Do you want to share a cab? And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. So this guy realizes, wow, it's Friday afternoon in New York. I have an hour with this, with this Wall Street guy. I'm about to get myself a job even though he has no background in trading options or anything. So he sits in the car and he talks to this guy and the guy says, yeah, we're basically starting options trading Monday and we need some people who, can, who know about that sort of thing. And Gary says, oh, I know all about that. And the guy goes, really? And he goes, yeah, I know all about that. I can do whatever you want me to do. I'm your guy. And he goes, really? Uh, he's kind of flustered. He goes, oh, okay, well, here's my number. Just call my secretary. Come in Monday. We can work something out. And he leaves. So Gary goes home, and Gary actually has dyslexia, so it takes him about six hours to read 20 pages. But he buys basically like the Bible of, of, of options trading, and he reads it over the weekend. And he shows up, and he's got a job at Wall Street. And long story short, Gary Cohen becomes the COO of Goldman Sachs um, for 10 years, and he recently was like the chief financial uh, uh, advisor uh, for our, our current presidential administration. And it all began one day by just hearing some guy say, I need a cab. Can I share with you? And Gary realizes I could be found out. I could be exposed. If he asks one follow-up question on any of this, I'm done. But he doesn't. He just goes, I'm your guy. I got you. I mean, that's chutzpah, right? It's guts. Now, there's a part of that that kind of chafes us weird because we go, yeah, but he's, he lied. And there's, so, yes. But I think there is something powerful. Hold on. It's a long sermon. It's... There is something powerful about that kind of guts. And I think sometimes as Christians, uh, we, we, we're so far on one side of trying to be right and do right. We're just sort of all lame and, and sort of just don't hurt, don't be anything, don't. We're not radical or intense. Or we don't have chutzpah. We're just, you know, just very boring. Even uh, the idea of uh, the perspective of Christianity in the world, right? I mean, we know about those archetypes like. 
like Ned Flanders and things, like these boring Christians. Um, but here, Jacob is the father. He's renamed Israel. There's a lot of men in Genesis who are awesome. They are not renamed Israel. The name of God's people. Abraham is not. He's renamed, but not Israel. Isaac is not. Joseph is not. This guy is. This guy. He gets the name of Israel. That's a country today. It's 2019. He's a country today. Like He gets that name. So what is it about him? And I think there is something powerful about this, this desire, this guts, this chutzpah to go do something. But too often, I think we fall on the other side of chutzpah, which is apathy. And as we talk about this morning, I really want to talk about apathy versus chutzpah. Apathy basically means you don't care. You're indifferent. Eh, meh, whatever, right? Uh, I think of a lot of young men struggle with apathy. I think of a lot of young, young men. I think it's kind of common. I think I was apathetic for a while as a, as a young man. It just uh, nothing matters. Nothing. I don't really care about anything. But apathy is a very dangerous thing. I remember apathy is basically, yeah, I'm not, you're just not motivated. And I remember getting advice from a, a mentor in the faith. And I, asked, I was getting all this advice on how to help convert somebody. And I said, what if they struggle with, with, you know, with this? What do you do? He goes, this is what you do. Scriptures, here's some questions. Well, what if you struggle with this? He goes, well, this is what you do. Scriptures, here's some strategies to help. And I said, what about apathy? And he was quiet. He goes, there's not much you can do for apathy. Wow. There's not much. You can't make someone love God. You can't make them motivated. In fact, the only thing you can really do for apathy is just sort of pray that God does something dramatic in their life to wake them up. Because you can't sit down with somebody who's like, no, I don't want. You can't force them. And that's the beauty of, of Christianity anyway, right? Is that it's your own choice. So God's not forcing anybody. But the, the scary thing about apathy is that eh, there's nothing you can really do for it. Somebody who's an addicted to something or enslaved to sin, but if they want help, amen, we got no problem with that. God's going to work. But if somebody does not want help, if they're apathetic, if they're, I don't care, I'm indifferent or whatever, man, I, it's all fine, nothing, it's all, mm, you can't do anything for that person. That person is, is done. And I think what God is saying about Jacob and Esau is that God's like, honestly, I'd rather work with Jacob than Esau. It's much harder to get a big rock, right, a big boulder, it's much harder to get that thing moving than if it's, if it's already rolling, you can guide it, right? You can knock it over with the sticks, right? You can keep it rolling. If somebody has already got guts, got heart, they want to they serve God. They want to, or at least they want to serve, they have a passion in them, a fire. God's like, I want that guy. I want that sister. I want that woman. I want them. Esau, uh, what, what are they going to do? And I think a lot of us, struggle with apathy. And I began to think, and I asked some people yesterday, some disciples, where do you see apathy in your own life and where do you see it in the church? Apathy is a, a bummer, you know, especially when you try to go help somebody else and you see their sin and you're cut by it. You're like, you did what? And maybe it's, to them, it's like, uh, it's, it's sort of how I've been for a long time. I've tried everything. You know, it's just what it is in my life. It's it's off-putting, but it's also kind of contagious. Like their apathy can kind of spread to you. And now you're like, yeah, I, I guess that's the way it is. You know, and then all of a sudden we're all apathetic. And we're all just sort of, eh. And then your Bible talk is, eh. And your quiet times are whatever. And everything is just boring and bland and pale and stupid. And God does not want that for us as his church. Nowhere in the Bible. Why is Genesis full of these people who are sinning all the time? 
Because God says, I understand that you're going to have sin, but do you have heart? Do you have passion? Are you never, you're never going to give up. I can work with that. Yeah. I'm not trying to find perfect people. People who study the Bible, like, I'll become a Christian when I'm perfect. Well, God doesn't want you. You're never going to be perfect. Realize that. Then God's like, now we can work with you. Now the pottery, now the clay's a little soft. I can work with that. If you're done, what do you need me for? Show up to church and hear what you want to hear and go and do what you want to do. But God says, where's the chutzpah? I'm not saying it right. You got to get to the throat. You got to say chutzpah, chutzpah. There were any Hebrews or Jews here that, come on, man, it's not chutzpah. Is there anything more uninspiring than seeing apathy in other Christians? Oh, man, it's a killer. Maybe you work really hard. You're meeting up with a sister and you set up, you look at scriptures ahead of time to share with her and you even pray for her and you get there early and you're like, you have some ideas about some books you want to study out and she's just apathetic and indifferent. It just kills you, doesn't it? And then you don't, and then you stop. You stop. I guess we're just going to get coffee whenever we, and then you know, then you stop getting coffee and you stop praying together. And then it's just, everything just sort of becomes existing instead of growing. It's just, let's just exist instead of be healthy. We would never settle with that in anything else. Are we healthy as a church? We talked about that a little bit Wednesday. Is there anything more horrifying than seeing apathy in yourself? Now, I remember getting advice in my own struggles. I've talked about this plenty of times. My own struggles with, with sexual purity in college. And the guy that was studying the Bible with me, he was just, he wasn't concerned about, I mean, the sin was the sin. Because I'm concerned about your heart toward the sin. You're just accepting it now. You're just, you're just, you've, this is what you think is life is. And I think those are the conversations to help somebody see. It's not about being perfect, but do you care? Do you want to go for, are you willing to go think this is not a last second scheme by Rebecca? She drew up, they probably had a, an easel and some, her and Jacob had a planning meeting and talked about some different schemes to make it work. And like they put thought into it. And I understand that makes us kind of uncomfortable because the end result, and I'm, I, I get that. I'm going to get there. But I think that we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We got to have chutzpah as disciples. We got to have some guts. But I think, I think we, we try and then I think we see apathy and then it spreads and I think we all just kind of can give up. I think another one of the symptoms, I think, of apathy is someone, when someone says, I know I should, but I don't. Or I know I should, but I won't. It's a sign you're, you've given in to apathy. I know I should, but I'm not going to do it. You know, or, or maybe, uh, maybe more other disciples are more alarmed by your sin than you are. That's a good sign you've reached apathy. You're apathetic. Other, if other people are like, why are people freaking out? It was just, just one conversation with a girl at work where we flirted once. Like it was one thing. Like it could have been way worse. But other brothers are like, bro, that's scary. You go, well, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe, I'm, maybe my, my heart's been a little hard, hardened by some of these things. It's just one cuss word or it's just one, I don't know, I just missed church once or it's not that big of a deal and we slide. Yeah. But these are some symptoms. Maybe you say these things and you realize, man, I'm apathetic. You know, I think sometimes we can be really opinionated about somebody, somebody else's family, what they should do or what they need to get right. But they're really apathetic about our own situation. We can give advice to others. This is what you should do. And then with us, we, we go, well, I've tried all I can with my five-year-old. That's just the way he is. You know, that's just the way she is. Or, you know, maybe you care immensely about your child getting baptized, but you show no effort on your own personal walk with God. 
you care, you care intensely, you're just apathetic about yourself, but you want others to get baptized. Um, you're apathetic. Maybe we're apathetic about building relationships. We talk about this, man, this one's a big one, right? Relationships can just be really shallow, really shallow, going deeper in relationships. But, you know, there are little moments, there's little flickers where people try, but it just can get shut out if there's apathy. Um, someone going, someone having an idea. I love when somebody shares an idea. At this point, I don't even care if it's an awful idea. I just want ideas. And if somebody has an idea, there's a brother recently who had this great idea. And I said, bro, do it. I will get you what you need. I will, I will support you. I will be there. That's why I, I love these. I love being at I Was Hungry. It wasn't my idea, but I love being there. I love supporting that. I love being at Laurel's. You know, there's a Dorier's idea. There's these ideas that people have. And if people are apathetic about these things, they die. We stopped doing Laurel's. We stopped doing I Was Hungry. We stopped delivering food to the poor. We, we stopped having Bible. People are apathetic about these. We stopped having Bible studies. We stopped having friendships that are deep. Apathy is a disease. We can feel apathetic about calling other people to repent. I want to encourage you this morning, though. Just like apathy spreads, so does chutzpah. Chutzpah also is inspiring. Um, but Jesus takes this very seriously. You know, Jesus, when he writes his letters in Revelations, he gets, he gets a little intense sometimes. And that's okay, because he's Jesus. But Jesus says in Revelations 3, and probably the like, quintessential um, lethargy, apathy, indifference passage. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now he's not saying, I wish you were hot or cold. Like I wish you were faithless or faithful. Hot or cold were basically just two different uses of water. Warm water being therapeutic, uh, used to this day, like saunas, spa, right? Warm water, even drinking tea, like warm water is therapeutic and medicinal. Cold water is refreshing. So he's like, he's like, do something. Yeah. Are you refreshing? You're not. Are you like helping bring about healing? You're not. You're not hot or cold. You don't do anything. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you did something. I'm going to vomit you. You know, Jesus is, is offended by apathy. But I think a lot of churches, and I think us in particular, we can get there quicker than anything else because it's not as obvious as other things. And I've seen this even in myself. I got to confess apathy. Because I, I've trained myself, even growing up in the church, to confess obvious things. Oh, well, pure impurity. Whoa, whoa. Oh, I lost my temper. Whoa, whoa. I didn't. Oh, I wasn't at midweek. Whoa. I got I to be at midweek. But y'all, y'all don't, you know, y'all sometimes aren't there. So, oh, I got to confess these things. But like apathy, it's hard. You got to see it. Sometimes you got to have somebody else see it. And say, why are you not concerned about this, bro? Why does this not concern you, sister? That you haven't been in a Bible study in five years. That you haven't had quiet, a quiet time in three months. That you haven't confessed this impurity in weeks. Why is this not concerning to you? But there is something encouraging in that. Chutzpah. You don't know how to spell it. You're like, how does he spell it? It's got a C in the beginning. So chutzpah. Chutzpah. So some of you, ah, man, just cross it out. But Chutzpah is equally as uh, infectious. Um, now there's an important differentiation between Jacob's chutzpah and the chutzpah that we should employ. And if you stop listening on the podcast at minute 30, you, you, got, you got to listen to the whole thing. Uh, keep listening. But it's important because if we just go out and have chutzpah for the sake of ourselves, yeah. we're just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If we go out and we're like, I'm going to be bold and share my faith with the whole classroom. Just be, and we just do it because we want to be bold. We just do it because we want to maybe self-aggrandizement, lift ourselves up. 
we're missing what God is actually wanting. God wants chutzpah, but he wants selfless chutzpah. Selfless courage. And that is inspiring. An almost offensive boldness. Now, remember when Jesus tells a story about the persistent widow and how she prays? Says she nags that judge day and night because of her, her, you know, ceaseless coming. She just constantly comes, right? Knocks on his door. She's annoying as all get out. She has a shameless audacity. Jesus says, pray like that. Having chutzpah in our prayers. You know, next couple chapters later, Jacob's going to wrestle with God and he's going to say, I'm not leaving until you bless me. We got to pray like that. God, I'm not leaving like Jim's prayer. God, help. And I now, please, like pray with some heart, with some guts. Be real. Get rid of the robot prayers. No one's inspired. They're not helping anybody. We're, we got to yell at God, blame him, accuse him. That's fine. But just have heart. You know, uh, the chutzpah of the persistent widow. I love the chutzpah of Mary and Mary and Martha, where Martha's doing all the house chores. And Mary sits at Jesus's feet like a disciple would. By the way, a role exclusively for men. Mary's got guts. She's I know there's household chores to do. I'm listening to Jesus and I'm going to be a disciple. And I don't care that my society may frown upon that. I'm going to listen to him. That is that's chutzpah for Mary. And that's exciting. And Jesus is like, she's chosen what is better. You know, Jesus's heart. By the way, if you want to look at chutzpah in the New Testament, the women are on fire with some chutzpah in the New Testament. But I think about the sinful woman, right? The Pharisees are at dinner. Uh, and this sinful woman comes in and she, a year's wages, she breaks the perfume. She cries. She does not care how she's viewed. She just wants to show Jesus she's grateful. Who cares if you're embarrassed? I love these women. How about the martyrs? How about the apostles? The chutzpah of the martyrs of the, the apostles to go to their deaths, the chutzpah of Jesus in the temple to overturn the, the tables. Now, all those are, are examples of boldness, but not based on self. The simple woman wasn't being bold to give. I mean, it was risky for herself. Mary, it was risky to sit at Jesus's feet. The persistent widow is risky for her. It's a parable, I understand, but there's risk involved. Like chutzpah is about doing what's bold, even if we risk looking dumb, even if we risk looking stupid, even if we are hurt. You know, Jesus was constantly going to private places to pray. He had a boldness and outreach and audacity in prayer and a shamelessness in love. But I want to close out with a thought. If we leave today with just simply that, just simply let's go be bold for Christ. We're still missing something because we will get tired. We'll, you know, we'll get exhausted. There's something beautiful about chutzpah. And I love that God keeps choosing the younger siblings in the Bible. He's like, I don't care about your birth order. I care about your heart, right? David, right? I care about your heart, David, King David. Jacob and Rebekah had chutzpah because they desired to attain something, to gain a blessing. They were bold because they wanted something. That is not the boldness that we should go after. God had chutzpah to send his son to die for you, just to wake you up from apathy. I said earlier, the only way to wake somebody up from apathy is divine, dramatic intervention. It really is. And people often ask, why did Jesus have to die the way he did? Why couldn't they just, you know, cut his head off real quick? Or why couldn't he make it a little bit cleaner? But why does Jesus have to die in the most horrific way possible? Not just physically, but also spiritually as he's separated from God. Because he knows you. He knows that the temptation will be apathy, to be apathetic. And so God in the greatest moment of chutzpah of all time, 
did something bold and, if you really think about it, offensive. He sacrificed his son. None of us would do that today. Like that, no, you got to take care of your son. That's a, no, that's offensive. Somebody, they're not a good parent. God, is, God loves you that much. That act of chutzpah, that act of love was so incredible that to this day, Jesus, who didn't write down anything himself, who never said, follow this religion and do this and follow these rules, that Jesus has changed the world, that God has changed the world with the greatest act of chutzpah of all time. And it wakes us up. And I encourage you today, if you're concerned, I don't know. I don't know if my heart's there. I don't know if I have a heart of chutzpah. I'm nervous to share my faith. I'm nervous to, 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 to be bold and call somebody to repentance. I'm nervous to confess this scary sin. I encourage you in your quiet times this week, look at the cross and look at God's act of love on the cross. Let him, stare at his love. Stare at his chutzpah and let it fill you. And the longer you can stare at God's act of love for you, the easier it will be for you to do this for others. And it won't matter if people think you're stupid or, or dumb or if people think or they laugh at you at work. It won't matter because it won't be about yourself. It is a godly, godly selfless chutzpah. We're going to close out with a final song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a line in that song as we sing it. I want to really think about that as we sing. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's go ahead and say a prayer and we're going to sing, Come Now Fount.